Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Derek Talkington, a therapist, podcaster, and community builder with a passion for reducing the stigma of mental illness and substance use disorders. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. My guest today is Derek Talkington, a licensed addiction and mental health therapist in Oklahoma. He's a skilled program director and clinician with experience in various outpatient and residential addiction treatment centers. His work has included outpatient adult, adolescent, and family treatment, and intensive family and individual therapy in several residential settings. Derek previously sat as the clinical director of Second Story Ranch Recovery Community and as executive director of Parents Helping Parents. In 2017, Derek co-founded Classen 9, a behavioral health treatment and development firm. Currently, he's the owner and CEO of Blackbird Cooperative, a premier community development organization in Oklahoma City, as well as host of the Chasing Sanity podcast. Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, good to see you, man. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you I'm on. I'm not sure what to do with my hands. That's okay. Well, you know, I just learned this. I'm not sure anybody's <laughs> going to see through their ears, but you can just wave them and wiggle them in the air, and evidently right. that's a Zoom clap. My, my podcast doesn't have any video, so I'm used to like being in a T-shirt and no, not combing my hair, uh, and now I've, I've got this beautiful screen and everything, and I've I feel stuck. I don't know. <laughs> well, you look great. So for whatever that's worth, right? Um, uh, this is the first time I've looked this good in months, man. I'll be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, as you may know, we start each episode with a kickoff question. Yep, and before I, get, yeah, before I get to that, I did want to mention, uh, I was uh, really honored to be a guest on your show, the uh, Chasing Sanity podcast a few months ago, and I'll definitely be dropping the links down in our show notes. For sure. I'd recommend people go check that out. Um, Derek, I'll let you talk to your own podcast and your own work, but uh, give that a listen and follow that. And, and I highly encourage our listeners to, to bounce over there and see what you got going on. Uh, yeah, man, I would, I would appreciate that. Um, you know, the podcast, my podcast is, is really simple. I just want to have good conversations. It was kind of born out of, am I skipping the question? Yeah, no, question? it's okay. We can go okay. there first and then we'll hit the question. I don't know. I just, like I'm just rolling with it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so years ago, um, the, the guy that I founded class of nine with, we, we would just have conversations and we were, we got really frustrated that we didn't have a platform to have difficult conversations because right. people were scared to have them. People didn't want to have them. Uh, lots of different kind of things at play there. And so we just said, Hey man, we have these conversations at the coffee shop. Why not have them in a studio and invite people on and start having these talks and seeing, uh, you know, what kind of stories we can hear and, and what we can learn from other people. And so uh, it's really just a kind of a long form conversational show. Uh, it's topical. So whoever comes on, um, obviously we talked a lot about coaching and recovery, but we've had, uh, 
uh, you know, your good friend that you hooked me up with, Imam was on and we talked about um, his faith and Islam. We've had uh, people who have been incarcerated for murders they didn't commit uh, for multiple years on the show to tell their stories. So uh, it's really just uh, me sitting down with people and talking and seeing where that conversation goes. Some of them don't get very deep and we end up talking about comic books and movies. And sometimes we end up sharing tears and laughs and everything else together. So. Yeah, I love that. That's really unique, you know, that, uh, that you're you just have these open conversations, as you mentioned, and uh, definitely go jump over there, people go give that a follow and, and check out uh, what Derek's got going on. So for the kickoff question, um, there's, there's a few different questions to, to pick from. And so I'm just going to choose one and see where it goes. That's what you want to do. So I like that. We'll just roll with it. So Derek, what are the struggles and triumphs that have most shaped your life? Oh man, you picked the hardest one. I, I went for it. <laughs> you like to have difficult that's conversations. What, that's what I get for not picking my own question. <laughs> that's right. You pick it. No. I should have picked the one about favorite cereal. Was that on the list? <laughs> um, so the, the question was, what are the, the struggles and triumphs yeah. that have shaped my life? Yes. Uh, man, we only have 45 minutes. Is that- That's right. Well, we can, we can hit at least one of them, you know, <laughs> man. Um, God, the, the, which, which one to choose in terms of struggle. Um, I think the triumph is a much shorter list. It probably is for most people. Yeah. Um, man, in terms of struggle, it, th- there's always an ongoing struggle, right? Um, it seems like the more I learn and the more I grow, and the more I discover, the more of a hole I found myself in, if that makes any sense. Not that I'm, I'm constantly digging the hole, but it's the more self-discovery you do, the more you figure out, yeah, I don't know anything, right? And so right. I think the biggest part of all of that that shaped me is constantly struggling to know myself, right? constantly struggling to be aware of who I am, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, what my character defects are. Um, And not only knowing myself, but kind of being okay with that and not letting the, the negative things about myself that maybe I don't like shape what I do on a day-to-day basis and impact my relationships. And, and that, that struggle, like I said, gets worse. The more I, the more I learn about myself, the more I'm like, Oh man, I got a long ways to go. Um, let's start working over here now. So, uh, I mean, we could go into to different struggles. I mean, I can remember being displaced by hurricane Katrina during graduate school in 2004 or 2005. Obviously that was kind of a major impact, but I mean, I think more on a deeper level, it's just been struggles within myself. I think that everyone can relate with probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And, you know, uh, generally speaking, you know, we all have those and, and you mentioned one specific and, and certainly we don't have to go into the nitty gritty of, of um, any areas that we don't want to hit. I have areas that I don't share with everybody, but um, what's, can you think of a struggle that relates to the work that you do today that maybe motivated you in life, maybe a challenge that came up or a situation that led you to do the the work that you're doing on a daily basis now? Um, you know, I, I tend to tell people that I do what I do uh, out of an accident, which probably isn't true. Uh, but it, 
I guess saying it's an accident is a little bit more comforting uh, than maybe talking about uh, how I got into the field. I mean, I always wanted to do something that was impactful. Uh, I always wanted to do something that had a, a big impact map, right? That was bigger than me outside of myself. I never really knew what that was. Uh, I was the classic, I'm going to struggle with what I want to do guy. I'm still the classic, I'm going to struggle with what I want to do guy, which is why I constantly have 15 different irons in the fire. And I'm trying to do new and different things, even in my field, because I'm just never uh, fully content just being that one deal. Right. Uh, Yeah. um, so, I mean, I went to college, I think I changed my major like six or nine times and that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> um, I changed it at least every semester for a couple of years. And then some, I finally ended up in the business school studying marketing and I had, I think I had a semester left and I was like, man, I do not want to do business stuff. Um, which is funny now that owning my own business, I find a lot of value in that stuff. But at the time I really wasn't about that corporate life, putting on a suit and tie and trying to go and get a job working for somebody's company. And so I had a friend of mine who was going to enroll in a doctoral program at a school down in New Orleans and just said, Hey, I've got to go down there for the weekend. Do you want to go? Just ride with me. I've already got a hotel and stuff. And in my 23 year old mind, I was like, if, Free trip to New Orleans, man. I'm in. <laughs> Let's do it. I'll trip. go with you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, while he was enrolling in his doctoral stuff, I just kind of start walking around the campus and really killing time. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've always been a conversationalist. I've always enjoyed talking to people. And so I just happened to walk into their uh, graduate psych office and was shooting the bull with the staff in there uh, and ended up applying that day for graduate school, uh, to do therapy. And mainly because I, after talking to him, I was like, I could, I could be a therapist. I could do that work and I could help people. And I had never had an intention of doing addiction treatment. I I really just was going to be a, what most people would call just kind of a run of the mill general therapy person. Um, and then, uh, when I was finishing graduate school, I, felt like I should get a big boy job and stop waiting tables and try to start building a resume and doing some other things. So I started applying for jobs at different, different places that I was qualified for. And the first place that offered me a job was a drug and alcohol treatment center uh, for adolescents. And so I thought that's better than nothing. I'll get started. And it probably took me all of a month to fall in love with addiction treatment as kind of a primary modality for me. Um, and I've been doing primarily addiction treatment ever since. I mean, now I work with a much broader range of clients, but the bulk of my career has all been in addiction treatment. And so I tell people it was an accident. I don't really believe that that's true. I believe that there's, you know, uh, much more direction that was provided through all of that, uh, than I tend to think back, looking back in hindsight, but, um, it was a long-winded answer. I don't even know if I answered your question, Charles. No, I think you did. You know, there's there's no right or wrong way to do this. And uh, what I'm gleaning, this is just me hearing now and processing as we're talking, is that, you know, the folks that are listening in, sometimes we hear 
life purpose and it's just this overwhelming idea for many people or man i have to have it all figured out and i don't have it all figured out and because i've served enough folks and i've talked about this topic enough there's so many different ways to find meaning and purpose in life and it turns out we really don't have to have it all figured out we're all wired differently there's some of us who really enjoy and we're and we're built just to uh, just to see what's right in front of us, what's next and what's over here and what's over there. And then some, some of us are planners and we're strategic. There's not a right or wrong way to come to a fulfilling life. Uh, I can tell you from my own experience that when I was in college, you said that you changed your majors at least half a dozen times or more. I think that's me too. You know, I, I have a lot of interests. Uh, those who may not know, my background is in natural resources management. So I'm a forester. And now I'm talking about to people about life purpose. Well, part of that reason is I got sober. But it's not really just my journey with in recovery. It's I enjoy connecting like you do with other people and having conversations and making a difference through relationships. You know, so those are key strengths and interests that I share that I'm hearing. Yeah. From and I think that you really nailed it, too, because I take this approach, you know, when I'm working with clients, uh, is that there's not one way to create success and success for one person is going to look completely different than success for another person. And purpose is to me the same way. There's not like one path that you, people don't come into your office and say, Oh, I'm struggling to find my purpose. And you don't get out like a flow chart and say, okay, here's, here's how we find your purpose. You know, let's answer these questions and check all these boxes. It's a much more like fluid, kind of discovery process that we go through. And the more that we're comfortable and okay with that fluid process of change, the much less stress that we experience during the journey, right? Yes. A lot of the clients that I work with, they get so pinned up because change for them is looking different than this person or that person. And I'm like, man, don't worry about change for that person. Like, yeah. like do your thing. And I promise the domino are going to start to fall and fit in place eventually. Yeah, that's so true. And I'd love to hear more about your work as you're able to share, of course, in general terms, or sure. whatever's most appropriate. So what do you find most rewarding about the work that you get to do now? Um, man, I'd, I'd, I'd love to say that it's rewarding to see everyone that I work with change. But the reality is that not everyone we work with changes, right? Not right. everyone that uh, we come into encounter uh, gets, you know, in addiction treatment, not everybody gets clean. Uh, that's the nature of the disease is that some people will always suffer with it. Um, I think that that's a challenge for therapists in particular. And I think really specifically in addiction treatment, I think that one of the reasons therapists get so burned out is because we do so much seed planting mm -hmm. and we do very little harvesting uh, in, in the, at least in the types of treatment settings that I've been in. And so I can remember uh, uh, early in my career thinking, uh, man, am I even making a difference? Like I know these kids are sober when they're leaving treatment, but they've been here for 90 days. Of course they're going to be sober. Um, and then you have, clients that come back and then you hear things and you hear about relapse and you have clients that uh, lose their life to the disease. And you start to think like, man, is, is anything I'm doing? Like, am I just spinning my wheels here? What's going on? 
And there's a one particular story that sticks out to me is um, a 17 year old that, uh, well, she was 15 the first time I, I worked with her and she uh, graduated treatment, went out, ended up coming back through treatment at 17 because she uh, was unable to maintain her sobriety. Um, second time through treatment, we end up having to kick her out of treatment prematurely because she wasn't able to toe the line really. I mean, she wasn't able to follow all the rules and she was doing some things that was creating a problem for other clients. And so we, um, politely and therapeutically asked her to leave. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself, like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to read about this, this little one dead in a newspaper. Right. Um, I mean, I knew where she was from. I knew her family background. I knew where she was going when she left treatment wasn't going to be healthy. And she had a drug history that was pretty significant for somebody that was that age, including PCP and some other things like that. And I just thought, man, um, she'll be one that I either run into and can tell she's not doing bad or that I read about in the paper. And about a year later, uh, I walked into a movie theater, um, on a normal Friday or Saturday night, like I always did. I couldn't even tell you what movie I had seen now. It was so long ago. And uh, I hear somebody just scream my name, not like in a terrifying way, but like in an exciting, I haven't seen you in a long time way. Yeah. And when I look up, this girl's running from around back of the concession stand, sprints up to me, throws her arms around my neck, you know, and just says, uh, like, man, I just celebrated a year clean. Um, and thank you for everything that you did. And I'm like, I kicked you out of treatment. What do you mean? Thank you. <laughs> you know? I'm over here crying. That's, um, that's such that's a cool, a, keep going. That's a great story. Yeah, you know, but it, it just, it, what it showed me is the unfortunate truth about what we do is that we don't always know the outcome. Right. And we have to rest in, she, I mean, she, when she left, probably didn't get clean for three or four months, you know, out, out on her own, but something finally took. And eventually she remembered some of the things that she had learned in treatment and some of the people that had told her the truth um, and had been honest with her. And eventually she was able to to find some change. Now that was like 12 years ago, right? I, I, I don't even particularly remember this girl's name, if I'm honest now. Um, there's no, I don't know what she's up to now. I'm hoping that she's still clean and has a family and, you know, is in her late twenties and is doing great. Right. But I don't know, she might've relapsed the next day. Right. Um, and I think as therapists, we have to come to terms with that unknown factor and we just have to rest in the truth that when we're with our clients, we do the best we can. To, to help them create change, to walk with them, to sit with them while they're in their pain. And that's all we can do. Um, so I think the answer to your question isn't what I love about doing is watching people change because I get to watch people change a little bit, but not a lot. I mean, I don't get most of that. I think what I, what at this point in my career, having done this so long, what I love about what I do is just getting to be with someone during whatever it is they're experiencing. If, it, if it's pain, I get to be with them and I know that they're not alone for that couple of months, right? If it's during 
times of celebration or helping people find purpose like you do, then I get to watch some of that. And what's great about what I do is I just get to invest in people. Right. And I don't know if that investment's paying off or not. Um, but luckily I don't have to worry about that cause that's not up to me. Yeah. And that's so well said. I have several friends that are therapists and counselors and, uh, they're in the field, you know, whether it's around mental health or substance use disorder or both. And, and that's a common story. You know, uh, most of us that are in any field related to what you're describing there is, you know, we're in it because we want to help others. And, and part of helping others is we want to see their life change. And just as you so well described, uh, that ain't always going to happen. And, and once I, in my own story, once I uh, did get sober and started sponsoring other, uh, this is my word for myself, other knuckleheads that were out there, <laughs> you know, trying to be honest for heaven's sake for the first time. Addiction and honesty do not go hand in hand, especially uh, in early recovery. But, you know, oh yeah, I'm sober. I haven't taken anything. And I'm like, man, your eyes are, I can see myself in your eyes. You know, they're so glassy. So once I got sober and started really sponsoring other alcoholics and addicts, I started realizing the insanity of addiction from the other side. And I grew up with addiction in my family and my extended family as well. But it was, it was different. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to help people get sober. Well, you know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to be a link in the chain. But every link matters. You know what I mean? And I'm, I can relate to the way that you're saying here. I'm going to be your sponsor in this case because I'm not a therapist. I'm going to be your sponsor. Uh, while we have this time together, let's make the most of it. But I cannot make that person stay sober. I cannot make them get clean and stay clean. And that's, that's something that each person has to reconcile that works with folks in addiction. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, I guess that's what keeps me going. Yeah. Um, well, for sure. Well, let's, I want to hit all that you're up to because you've got a lot going and, and I'm interested in all of it. And I follow along with most of it, if not all yeah. of it. Um, so tell me more about, I didn't realize this about you. We've known each other for a little bit, a few months but that you were executive director of Parents Helping Parents. Tell us about that organization and, and then what your role has um, been. Yeah, great, because I still do some, some cooperative work with them, so that's great. So uh, Parents Helping Parents is a uh, nonprofit organization that was founded by parents to help parents who have children of any age who are struggling with a substance use disorder. So whether your child's 15 or 55, um, if you're a parent and you've got a child that's struggling, that's an organization that uh, is designed to help you. And they primarily do that through connecting people with resources, sharing their experiences, and just offering peer support. Um, that's all they're up to. So uh, what they do basically is host some parent support groups um, twice a month at different chapters across Oklahoma. They've got a, and I'm going to, I don't officially I'm not their executive director anymore, so I haven't kept track of all the places they have chapters, but I know for sure they have an Oklahoma City chapter, a Tulsa chapter, an Edmond chapter, and a Norman chapter. Um, at times, we've had a, a, a chapter up in Wichita and some other places, and you'd have to look at their website to find all that. Um, 
parentshelpingparents.info is the website for people that want to go there. Uh, but basically twice a month they have support groups um, where they bring in a speaker, somebody like me, somebody like you, somebody that just has a story to tell, some sort of message for parents that can help them with their situation. Uh, and they talk and they, and they try to connect people with different resources and really sit with people through the frustration um, of having to deal with that. So they do a lot of similar type support that um, somebody might find did an Al-Anon program. They actually really encourage parents to get involved in an Al-Anon program in addition to parents helping parents. So um, I, I, I was able to be their executive director for a short amount of time through a grant. And then currently uh, what I do for them is I run a virtual chapter. So uh, twice a month, I do what they do in a real chapter, but I do it uh, via Zoom. Uh, so we host a live webinar where we'll have a speaker come in and, and, and do a message live on Facebook and on Zoom. And then after that, we host a live Q&A uh, in a Zoom chat room for parents to jump into and ask the speaker different questions and uh, get some advice and find some resources that way. It's a really powerful program. I really honestly didn't know about it till within the past year or so. Yeah. Uh, parents helping parents. And I mean, it's really unique. Um, such a needed not only support system, but a resource. There's so many resources that are available through these groups. And when you find support plus resources that really help you, you that's a winning combination. And I've, yeah, I've been to a sure. couple of meetings, man, I'm telling you, it's really different coming from the parent side. And as a, as a dad of two teenage daughters with addiction and mental illness all over both sides of my family, the chances are pretty good that they're going to find it in a relationship, if not in their own life. Yep. And so we, we talk a lot about recovery and codependency around the house and, and try to be examples, uh, imperfect examples of, of how to live this sober life. And uh, this is just one more great resource out there for parents to get involved with. Yeah, it's a good organization. I'm really happy to be doing continued work with them uh, just as part of what I do at my company. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. So let's hit some other stuff. I, I, now, I don't know much about class in nine. Um, tell us about that. And then, well, I don't want to blend, bleed things together, but also Blackbird sure. Cooperative. Yeah. So class in yeah, nine. Yeah. So um, short version, uh, started a company in partnership uh, with another therapist. Um, we're doing lots of joint ventures and really uh, co-founders had different visions, figured out that their niches uh, were in different areas. And so um, we ended up kind of dividing up the company that we had built. The part of it that I kept is now Blackbird Cooperative. Um, so uh, he continues to operate, you know, his business and practice through class and nine. Um, the other pieces uh, which is what he wasn't as interested in as I was, is that community development piece um, and the work outside of the, the general therapeutic stuff. And so Blackbird Cooperative, really what I call it's a community development uh, organization. So for the last couple of years, we've done all the drug and alcohol prevention work for Edmond Public Middle Schools. Um, our goal ultimately is to help educate the public about mental health and addiction related issues in whatever form we can do that. So doing the prevention work there, I speak at you know multiple other schools, just doing assemblies and education and mental health um, education related stuff. 
um, working on developing some partnership with the faith-based community, training pastors and church staff and suicide prevention and mental health first aid and some of those type things. Uh, and then obviously a part of that community development work is running the podcast. Well, absolutely. Okay. So yeah, community development. And what is the overall aim of Blackbird Cooperative in terms of community development? What do you, what is your um, for your I want, I want to reduce mental health and addiction related stigma yeah. and increase mental health and addiction education. Awesome. I mean, in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. And okay. I'm not shaming our state. Okay. But we could really use, we could really use that. What you're offering the vision that you have. Yeah. I mean, we could shame the world really. I mean, True. we're not nearly where we need to be. I mean, Oklahoma tends to trend at the back of everything anyway. Um, which is, I think what you were driving at, but, um, I mean, outside of even state funded systems, when you look at a state like Texas, who's kind of ahead of the game in terms of treatment, um, you walk into a private organization and you're still going to get the same stigma. You walk into a church and you're in Texas, you're still going to get the same stigma, you know, just because on a state government level and funding level, they've got it figured out. Doesn't mean that everybody um, in, in schools in communities in organizations and in businesses has it figured out. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I should clarify, I, yeah, I was making a, a statement without a lot of detail, but specifically on the education and outreach piece, you know, it's, For sure. yeah. And so because you have the, the reducing stigma, but also getting information out there, that's, you know, any of us that are in related fields or in recovery, the more of us that, that can come together and collaborate and find ways to get the message out there, that there's hope, that there are resources that you're not alone and uh, that there's a way through it. You know, there are, there are things that you can do to manage, navigate, cope with, and, and even overcome uh, addiction and mental health uh, issues. And I, I just love the fact that you're doing that and you're collaborating. What kind of organizations are you working with? You said the Edmond public schools and who else? Uh, yeah. So I've had a, I've had a good partnership with them for a couple of years now. Um, I mean, I've done some assembly work at multiple other schools. Um, I've done some mental health first aid trainings for some private companies like Hobby Lobby. Uh, my main goal and project right now has been trying to build this faith-based partnerships. Um, and so my goal really is to get um, every church staff member and all church, every church staff member and every church volunteer trained in mental health first aid uh, and suicide prevention. Uh, I think there's a huge gap in our faith-based communities. Um, we see it all the time. It seems like every couple of months we see um, a, church, a church pastor that's fairly famous, a mega church pastor or somebody like that uh, die by suicide. Um, and I think churches is where the stigma really still runs deep. People don't want to talk about mental health. People don't want to talk about addiction. People don't want to talk about suicide. Uh, and they think that as a whole, I think the faith system thinks, oh, we just need to pray away suicidality. We just need to pray away addiction. And I'm really working to build those partnerships so that people understand, like, I'm not against prayer. I pray all the time. I think prayer is a very powerful tool, uh, but it's it's a powerful tool. And I'm absolutely not saying that the God of the universe can't take someone's suicidality or addiction away if that's what he chose to do. But if somebody in my church is diagnosed with cancer, my church absolutely is going to pray for that person. Absolutely is going to pray that that person 
um, is healed of their cancer, but they're also going to send that person to an oncologist <laughs> and they're going to say, we're going to help you find the best cancer treatment we can. And we're going to pray all over you. Right. Um, and we don't see that same strategy with mental health and with addiction. We see the prayer strategy and then that's it. And so what I want to help churches understand is we have to have the same strategy. We have to say, Oh, you're struggling with addiction. We're going to pray all over you and we're going to get you the best treatment we can find. Uh, yeah. At the same I love that. I love that because even with churches that have 12 step meetings and celebrate recovery, sometimes there's still a dif- disconnect between the, the body of uh, large of the church um, and operationally, you know, how they are, are, are dealing with this program. Sometimes it's seen as just a separate program. Okay. Yeah. You can use the space, um, but we may or may not know what goes on in those meetings. And yeah. I know at our church at Spring Creek Baptist church, there is an emphasis on mental health and we have a faith community nursing program that, that does some of that. And, uh, and then we just had, a, uh, she's both a licensed therapist and uh, I don't know if she's a pastor, but um, she gave a, has given presentations on faith um, and mental illness. So I think it was called mental Great. illness and the church. Yeah. And so there is some awareness and you, I think you've hit it on the head that yeah. that, that is a really important topic and uh, the youth know it. You know what I'm saying? The youth at our church, lots of mental health concerns from young people these days and, and uh, their voices need to be heard. And so this yep. is one area. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. So there's Blightbird. And tell us more about where did Chasing Sanity come from? I want to know the name. You know, <laughs> what's, this, what's this idea of Chasing Sanity? And, um, and uh, when did you start it? The name just kind of came to me one day. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, you know, sanity and insanity are, are, are buzzwords kind of in the addiction community. We hear insanity a lot. We hear that, that a lot. And so um, I think just in, in a conversation once, I just, I really feel like that's what I'm constantly doing. I'm constantly chasing after, you know, stability and self-awareness and, and grounding. And so that's really kind of what the conversations feel like. It feels like, uh, well, you know, Ernest was on your show not too long ago. Um, Ernest O'Dunsey. Yeah. 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 We had a, uh, like a two and a half hour podcast, um, a while ago now. I mean, it's probably been 10 months, maybe even a little longer. I'd have to go back and look, uh, where we were talking about racism and culture and, that conversation constantly feels like we're chasing sanity because of, you know, the, especially with what we're experiencing now, I feel insane. My Facebook feed is littered with things that are heartbreaking and difficult to understand and perspectives from all different types of people. And I read one thing and I think, Oh, that, well, that makes sense. And then I turn around and I read the exact opposite and I think, well, that makes sense too. And I, you try to make sense of it in your head. And so I feel like those conversations, like that's just a, a natural way to phrase it. Hey man, we're just chasing some sanity while we talk, trying to figure this thing out. And maybe we do, and maybe we don't. I think sometimes we end the conversation and I'm like, I have no more answers. Yeah. Or maybe more questions, you know, as a coach, uh, and maybe this is developmental in my life that like you said at the beginning, even, you know, digging, digging a hole deeper, not necessarily that you're trying to, but just uh, life gets bigger, you know, the older that I get and the answers are fewer. There's a lot more gray. Um, 
and there's there's still black and white, but there's a lot more gray. And uh, gray is an opportunity for common ground. It's also an opportunity for insanity uh, to be yeah. uncertain about things. I, I I joke with people, but it's really not a joke. The name of my business is Full Integration Coaching, and uh, integrity is a primary value. And it's both the name of my business is both uh, inspirational, and but it's also aspirational. You know, maybe one day I have some moments where I have it all together, you know, and I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm full of courage. I'm authentic. I'm in line with my values. And then give me five minutes and I'm not. But uh, <laughs> that tends to be what it's like to be a human being. So what do you do in your, in your own life to maintain sanity? Like in these times, for example. Um, phew, man, <laughs> I mean, I'm, <laughs> Without, you know, saying, without making it cliche or without making it like a, a canned answer, I mean, everything about who I am and, and my hopes, my, operation, my aspirations, my, my past, my any redeeming quality about me is 100% um, the work of Christ in my life, right? So from a personal perspective, without my faith, no sanity is ever to be found for me. Um, so, I mean, ultimately I'm grounded there. Um, that, that plays itself out in the real world through, you know, family and social relationships that I find very important to me and very grounding. Uh, and then, I mean, I enjoy the same things that lots of other people enjoy. I've got a basketball hoop in my driveway that I shoot baskets at. I like taking, we live in Paseo. So I like taking walks and riding my bike and, going and eating good food and having good drinks. And, um, I think during the pandemic, I've watched all of the Marvel movies in chronological order and played way too much call of duty and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> right? um, yeah, just kind of the standard stuff. I mean, I, I enjoy anything that, that puts me around somebody else. So, I mean, even if it's playing a game of chess with our 13 year old, like that's awesome stuff for me. Yeah. Right on. Well, you know what, Derek, I did want to, because I know that you have big conversations on your podcast and they're wide ranging. And so I, I want to give you the opportunity to, to speak about uh, your perceptions of the, the times that we're living in. It could be with COVID, but, you know, around race or, or anything that, uh, that you find important to speak to right now. Yeah, I, I will open that conversation with asking for whoever's listening's uh, grace uh, and to, to take what I'm saying absolutely with a grain of salt. I tend to speak um, a little off the cuff and I tend to maybe even not always mean what I say because what I like to do when I talk is get people thinking. So um, I, I say that to say that somebody's probably going to end up listening to this and going, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> so just kind of take with a grain of salt. I'll, I'll probably the COVID stuff, man, I, I want to honor anyone who has seen or experienced in their world, a loss of life. That is horrifically tragic for anyone to have to lose somebody that they love and care about. Um, in the context of that, it's all felt a little overblown to me. Um, I want to respect where people are at. If you're a person that 
doesn't want to shake my hand when you see me and wants to wear a mask in public, I'm, I, I don't have a problem with that. You can do that if that helps you feel comfortable. I'll be honest with you. I have changed very little of my behavior outside of things that I've been forced to change, like having to pick up to go food instead of going inside the restaurant. I haven't bought my mask. I haven't, I still go to my mom and dad's house with my wife and my brother and his wife every Sunday and eat lunch together and play. Um, I would have probably still go to an NBA game if they would have let me, <laughs> I still would have gone. So outside of people saying can't we're closed, I've, I've changed very little um, and have just tried to adapt, but that's how I kind of live. I'm kind of like, I don't, I, I'm not really afraid of that stuff. And so um, I, I respect the people that are, and I want to honor them. And I understand that maybe not in Oklahoma city, but in certain parts of our world and in certain parts of our country, this has been a legitimate problem in pandemic. And I get that. And I honor that. Um, just because it didn't happen here, it, it is why I kind of feel the way I feel about it being a little overblown and, and that type of stuff. But I mean, I understand, you know, especially in places like New York or in, you know, high population areas in other countries where they don't have some of the similar healthcare stuff that we've got, it's, it's become a problem. So what's interesting is it's, I haven't heard anything about COVID in two weeks, right? <laughs> um, because something much has taken precedence over that. And, and, you know, I wish I had answers to that, man. Um, I think the answer is, is that there's a lot of brokenness in our world and there's a lot of brokenness in people. And it is gut wrenching and heartbreaking to me when that brokenness creates situations like happened to George Floyd. Um, I mean, I watched the video. I don't know if, if you watched it. I'm sure lots of people watched it and I'm sure lots of people decided not to watch it. I don't know how anybody can see that and not think to themselves, like I just watched a nine minute video of somebody being murdered. Like that's, that was my take when I watched the video and that's really, really sad to me uh, that he lost his life. It's sad for him. It's sad for his family. It's sad for his community. Um, and then outside of that, I mean, I tend to have different thoughts and different feelings every which day, you know, there's a part of me that tends to want to say, you know, like, let's like, it, is that, is that one racist officer or maybe even that's just a bad cop. Maybe he's not even racist. Maybe that wasn't motivated by race at all. I don't know. Like I, I'm not in his shoes. I'm not in his head. And then there's a part of me that, you know, when I start to examine, you know, other angles that says, you know, America's got a lot of changing to do. And I don't want to deny that fact either. Um, and then, you know, there's protests and, and, and I want, I want to stand in solidarity, you know, um, with my, my brothers and sisters in the faith and with my fellow Americans, when I see, something that I know was criminal. I want to stand in solidarity and I want to dissent and I want to say that's not right. And there should be justice for that. Right. But then when protests become violent, that I don't know if that's a solution um, or not. And 
So it's like every day I'm trying to read, I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to formulate my own thoughts. Um, you know, I see different tweets and I see things on social media that really make me think, you know, on one hand I say, you know, I don't want to see protests turn violent because I don't think that's good for communities. But then I have different friends of mine telling me, you know, what are you supposed to do when nobody's hearing you? You know, how else are you supposed to be heard? And I, I want to empathize with that. You know, I had, I saw a tweet that said, um, destroying property is, um, uh, not, not a helpful protest. And then that was captioned with a picture of the Boston tea party. And I thought to myself, wow, that seemed like an appropriate destruction of property protesting our independence from Britain, you know? So it's a really delicate situation, man. And I think more than anything, it's just hard to think through all of those things and, and begin to put it together. And what makes it even harder is I have zero frame of reference for what it's like to be a black American. Um, my frame of reference unfortunately, is the frame of reference that I've been given. And so I've got nothing else that I can do besides listen and learn and pray and hope for change. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Derek. That's, uh, it's important, I think, that we'd be able to express where we're at. Um, people like me, I, I don't know where I'm at with it. I certainly lean hard on the side of justice, hard on the side of uh, equal opportunity of compassion of love and of truthful conversations and uh, that's what we've had here today and there are so many conversations from my point of view that that have elements of truth but it's also mixing in uh, our own biases our own prejudices and we may not even be aware of them so even extra compassion for those on any side that uh, that lack the awareness or, or just don't know how to have a, a more complex conversation, which our times are getting more and more and more complex. But it's my hope and my prayers as a practicing Christian myself that, that God would uh, find a way to reconcile this through his people and his people being every person on the planet. Uh, I'm an idealist. I think that's how God formed me. And I believe through Christ, all things are possible. And people have got a lot of work to do to get there. You know, we have to work with our humanity at the same time to come through this. And it's people like yourself and Ernest O'Dunsey and Imam Imad and Chasi and, and many, many others that uh, I'm involved with a lot of diverse groups because I'm interested in humanity and uh, what it's all about. It's a purpose, of, a question of purpose for me. And what's, what's this whole life thing about? So I share that, that struggle with you and that uncertainty and, and just glad to have the conversation with you. As, yeah. as we close up, brother, I want to give you the opportunity to um, invite folks to follow along with yeah. you. Again, like I said, I'll be putting you know, links in the show notes, but how can folks get in touch with you and stay, stay following along? Yeah, um, the easiest way to stay in touch with kind of everything I'm up to is probably Facebook is probably the, the best way to get in touch with me, but also just to follow along. So um, the Facebook primary Facebook page that I think people should should be on is at Blackbird Cooperative. Um, everything that I do professionally is routed through that Facebook page. I also have a Facebook page just for uh, the podcast um, at Chasing Sanity Media. But if you don't, if you're one of those people that don't like to follow a ton of stuff, everything I do for the podcast is shared on Blackbird Cooperative. So if you just want to follow one. 
follow at Blackbird Cooperative, but you can also follow at Chasing Sanity Media. Uh, Instagram, exactly the same, at Blackbird Cooperative, at, at Chasing Sanity Media um, on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, I've got those down. And any closing words? A couple minutes left. You would have any uh, parting uh, words for our listeners? Man, I don't think so, man. It's been okay. a pleasure. It's always fun to to sit down and connect with you. I'm, I was excited to to get to be a part of this and um, keep doing the good work, man. Yeah, you too. Well, Derek, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being a guest on my show. Yeah, anytime, Charles. Okay, bye bye. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, Life Purpose Coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you are meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.